0: creative journey it's easy to get lost but don't worry you'll lift off sometimes you just need a creative pep talk hey you're listening to the creative pep talk podcast i'm your host andy j pizza Pizza. I don't know if it feels like this to you, but to me, it feels like the only metric of creative success today that the mainstream is really keeping track of is did it or did it not go viral? Like, how many views does it have? How many likes did it have? Wow, that many views? Wow, I'll pay attention. Wow, it must be something of note. I mean, is it just me, or does that feel like the only litmus test for whether something is good in the mainstream public's view? If this is true, if, you know, if it's good, it will go viral. If it didn't go viral, it's not good, You have two options as a creator. You either try to go viral with your creative work or you just accept that your work sucks or at least will not be seen as good and see if you can keep showing up to the blank page day after day and stay motivated to make stuff when you are convinced that your work sucks. Now, spoiler alert, you probably won't stay motivated. Who wants to finish a day's work and be like, "Well, another bad day's work that nobody cares about"? Like that, that's that takes a, a certain kind of weird fuses not functioning quite right in your brain for that to to keep going. Because we're social animals, we know we're on borrowed time. We're if you're spending insane amounts of time on stuff that. You're convinced sucks and is no use to anybody. That is not a long-term strategy for disciplined, motivated, creative making. So what do you do? You don't try to go viral. You don't accept that your work sucks. You go for the invisible third option that we're going to talk about in this episode today. But before we do that, quick word from the old and the new sponsors. Quick shout-out to the sponsors. Darkboard is a new ultralight ergonomic drawing surface for your iPad. It's developed by the creators of Astropad Studio, longtime friends of this show. They created Darkboard to fix some of the most common pain points of artists, like hand cramps, bad posture, being stuck at your desk. Later in this episode, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about Darkboard, but uh, the Kickstarter to fund Darkboard is out Now go be one of the first backers. They get the best rewards. Go to darkboard.com to learn more. There's nothing better than getting better. Accomplishing growth is extremely satisfying and online classes with Skillshare make it possible. Learn about illustration, design, photography, productivity, and marketing with Skillshare's short classes. You can move your creative journey forward without putting your life on hold. Explore your creativity at Skillshare.com slash creative with a free trial. Later in this episode, I'm going to tell you about a class that I was checking out called Win Back Your Creative Confidence by Crushing Your Inner Critic that I added that bit to the title. But uh, it looks awesome. It's by Lucy Lamb Bricks, and I will tell you about it later. Hey, this is part five of our Human Rhythms Over Algorithm series. I told you part four was going to be the last one, but I lied to you because we have one more. It's a bonus. It was just something I felt like we couldn't leave unsaid which was addressing the the pressure of going viral. this whole series is about how being more in tune with the rhythms of your humanity is more likely to get your best workout and and serve your creative practice and and creative career even even more than being tuned into what the algorithm wants uh, what the online tech companies tech giants want you to do and how they want you to create Uh, this is all just reminders of how do we get back into the creative rhythms of our humanity this is part five and i promise the final part of this series let's go Chapter one, changing everything is a dangerous dance. And I know from experience, I've done that dance. <laughs> if you're feeling the pressure to go viral or just accepting that your work sucks, or you're just super far away from where you want to be, the notion that you could change it all in an instant with the right TikTok dance can be a very distracting thing for you as a creator. I totally get that, but I feel like it's a dangerous thing to play with. Now, when you're really not where you want to be, instead of trying to change everything overnight with just one dance, I think it's more helpful to look for places to invest in your creative practice that have a high likelihood of paying off over time like the things that you know, if I show up every single day and do this in five years, I'm going to be in in a totally different place than I am now. Uh, Almost certainly. Like those are really powerful investments to make, but it's hard. It's hard to do that right now. And I think it's kind of hard to do it because I feel like maybe we are living in a dystopian version of the eighties movie, the Keanu Reeves movie, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. A lot of people think like, man, we're living in the matrix. And I'm like, no, we're living in a totally different Keanu timeline. Uh, And it's what if Bill and Ted's adventure had been a tragedy? Like, do you know that movie? It's where George Carlin comes back in time to help Bill and Ted pass their history report so they don't get separated into different schools and they can stay together so they can create the band that... creates the song that changes the world. Eventually, your music will help put an end to war and poverty. Now, in the end, in the actual movie, they travel into the past and they crush their history report with firsthand eyewitness accounts of some of history's biggest moments. It's super epic and and very excellent. Uh, But I feel like we're living in a time where they didn't pass. Now, I haven't seen the new Bill and Ted movie. So maybe this is the, the the plot of that movie. But I feel like instead of working at their craft, making their music, creating this excellent band, creating the song that changes the world, the the bad guys saw that future play out and they go back in time before George Carlin. They totally derail his plan and instead create. Mega tech companies that say, forget about losing yourself in your creative craft and creating music that will change the world. You don't have to do all that. All you need is 15 seconds of a dance that will change everything for you overnight. And Bill and Ted never learned to play guitar that well. They never learned to make that music and they just chase that hint of a possibility that they could just do the right TikTok dance that would change everything. That's the world we're living in right now. And it's just not a very conducive situation for creators because for a lot of us, we got into the creative practice for that introverted, introspective space in front of the potter's wheel, in front of the sewing machine, in front of the drawing table where we just lose ourselves in that lonesome, beautiful, full space of making. And to say, in order to do that, you've got to get in front of the whole world and and dance your butt off like to, to make it work, like that just doesn't fit. And I'm not saying like, look, I completely, utterly support and believe that dance and performance is as legitimate of a creative outlet as any other. But I would guess that even you are feeling like this timeline and this environment is not conducive to your best creative work. Like just all of that pressure on one post, one dance, it's just not likely to get you to make your best work i get it like this feeling that if my work could go viral i could have a uh, the creative practice i always dreamed of and if i gotta do a little dancing fine if it's gonna change everything like if i do this right nothing's ever gonna be the same that is a very tempting proposition a very distracting proposition but this viral state of online creativity i think for most of us is starting to feel like a popularity contest. And we all know that popularity contests are often mostly about luck, and at worst, totally rigged. Now, you're in luck, because I just so happen to have personal experience with both popularity and contests, because I have had both of those things totally crush my soul as a human. Now, you might have heard me talk about this experience. If you're a longtime listener of the show, I've, you've probably heard me speak about this, but I feel like it illustrates the point quite well, so I want to share it again. Back in the day when I was in high school, I'm ashamed to say it, but the first two years of high school, I was desperate to be popular. I just thought, like, man, if I could just get everyone to like me, then... I'll have that hole in my soul fill up. Uh, you know, little did I know that that hole in my soul is just hormones. Um, but I was just desperate and I would insert myself into social circles and just be like, oh, totes my goats, man. Mega dope. What's slapper in y'all? And everyone's like, oh, dear Lord. It was, <laughs> you know, I was just that try hard kid desperate to be cool. Then one day I volunteered to take the attendance down to the office for one of my teachers and just so happened to be fate had planned that while I was stood there someone from student council just so happened to be posting a sign up sheet for a dance off in front of the whole school and I was struck by the muse, by, by a stroke of genius because I thought I'm going to write down Kwai Canned Heat and do the Napoleon Dynamite dance that he does in front of his high school, in front of my whole high school. I'd just seen the movie. It was hilarious. I was going to... Blow them all away, and I was so desperate to be popular that I was willing to commit an actual crime to do so. That's right, I downloaded the movie illegally on LimeWire. <laughs> Who remembers LimeWire? Um, I downloaded the movie. And every lunch hour for like two weeks, I would go home and learn these dance moves as best as I could. And then the day of the dance off came, I put on my vote for Pedro shirt. I stuffed my feet into these moon boots that were like two sizes too small uh, because they were my <laughs> little brother shoes. Uh, and I went to school. And I stood out in front of the gymnasium with that spotlight on me as they started to play canned heat. And boy, did things start heating up. I was hitting every mark. I was lost, possessed by the dance. I was in the zone. And I I was like, maybe this is my thing. And you might be like, hey. How do you know you were in the zone if you've never been in the zone before? Well, I can tell you because it's exactly the way that I'd heard it described a million times. Like the everything just went quiet, like a whole hush went over everything. And even after the music stopped, I couldn't hear the cheers of the crowd. Now, you know, I ran to the side just like he does in the movie and I started chilling out coming down, coming out of the zone. And then I thought, wait a second, why is it still quiet? <laughs> what? Like what's happening? And I started thinking about it. I thought, hold on a second. What? Something's, something's not right here. Now, to just place you in the timeline that we were in at that moment, we were in the place of the Napoleon Dynamite craze where – when I put on that vote for Pedro shirt, you were probably thinking, you know, something from a Spencer's Gifts or a Hot Topic. But no, neither of those places were selling the shirt yet because the movie hadn't been out that long. And In fact, I had had to drive almost two hours with a couple friends to see it in a different town because they weren't even showing the movie at our local cinema. And I'm stood there thinking, oh my gosh, I thought this dance was going to change everything. And it did because I thought that I would be crowned comedy king by doing the Napoleon Dynamite dance in front of my whole high school. But what actually had happened is I became my high school's real Napoleon Dynamite because nobody had seen the movie. And actually, I had heard that teachers were actively shushing anyone from laughing or cheering uh, because they were like, Shh, he thinks this is cool. He's this is he's really trying. Because they didn't have any context. They didn't know what the heck was going on. And I think that. We're all in this moment where we're looking at the sign-up sheet to the dance-off at the office. It's called Instagram Reels or TikTok. And we're thinking this one dance could change everything. But take it from me, it might change things in a way that you're not expecting. It might change everything by chasing that viral success day in and day out. You might change everything by missing the opportunity to spend the time and get lost in the music and in the band and in the craft that will change the world a few years later. If you're listening to this bill and Ted, don't get distracted by that proverbial virtual carrot in your face. And look, maybe you're a dancer, and this is your heyday. And of course, dance is as legitimate uh, as any other form of creativity. But the odds are, you too are feeling a bit crap because even if you're a dancer, you're probably not going viral on a regular basis. You're you're probably also feeling the chase. And maybe you did go viral, but it didn't equal the creative practice that you thought it was going to. It didn't. Everything change overnight. But it didn't change in the ways that you hoped that it would. And now you forgot why you loved dance in the first place. And you're just forever chasing the high of that viral dance all over again. Now, most people I know that have gone viral did not get the creative practice that they were after because of it. And most people I know that got the creative practice they were after never did so by going viral. But instead, they had a clear picture of what they were after, and they just made baby steps towards that over time. No wild overnight success, just a clear picture of what they were moving towards, and day in, day out, making creative investments, stepping towards that end. Now listen, the tech world is desperate for you to believe that the best way to make it as a creator today is to put all your best efforts into making the kind of super novel, super short form creative content that has the potential to go viral. But they're not convincing you to do that because it's actually in your best interest. It's because it's in their best interest. If they convince you that this is a viable path, guess what? You'll spend all of your best creative energy working for free for the chance of that kind of exposure. And while they take all of that and make tons of cash on the back of your creative work, on you filling their platform with your best content without ever having to pay a nickel for it. It's literally like these companies are like a Netflix that doesn't pay for any of its shows or very little of them. And it's excellent for dancing. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't make any content. I'm not saying that you shouldn't share good work online. I'm not even saying that you should not go viral or that you should avoid it. Going viral for the right kinds of things can be an amazing thing for your practice when it happens, but most of that is out of your control. And I think if you are, if you go viral for something that you're prepared to do more of and prepared to take advantage of with proper creative frameworks and habits and business models, it can be an amazing thing. What I am saying is, Focusing all of your creative energy in that place, crazy numbers, crazy views, crazy likes, like putting all your energy there is not most likely in your best interest, but in the best interest of giant tech companies. The internet is a casino. Instagram is a slot machine. When you put everything you have into it and pull down that feed and refresh it, those follows and likes and comments They're not going to be cherry, cherry, cherry or 777 jackpot. It's going to be snake eyes. eyes. Snake eyes? Snake eyes? Oh, no! I don't think it works like that. But it's not going to be what you're hoping it's going to be because at the casino, the house always wins. No! I'm ruined! And instead, diversify your effort. It's fine to Diversify your portfolio of creative efforts, but not gamble it all away, hoping that the next dance is going to change everything, but instead, invest your creative best into places where they're likely to have a return over time. Chapter two, don't try to go big, go home. Go home, Roger. In the first section of this episode, we talked about if you put all your creativity and, and embed it and play it out on someone else's turf, be it Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, or even a place like HBO, the house always wins. They're the house. They set up the rules. They set up the rules and the advantages for them to succeed and for it to benefit them. So what do you do? Go bigger? No. I would say go home. Homer. Go Go more home. Go get that home court advantage by bringing your work back to where you used to live in the past. Instead of trying to go viral by making work for everyone on the planet two years into the future, which that whole setup is set up for you to fail. It's an impossible task. Instead of that, Make stuff for you in the past. That is something I know you can do because you know that person. You know their tastes. You know what's going to knock their socks off. And you're a couple years in the future and you have gained all these tools that you've grown in all these ways that are going to blow them away. That's something you can actually achieve. And the cool thing about it is is that if you will own it, that you're not some cultural seer who can see in the future and and know what the mainstream like what's going to hit big like those people that those are the uh, the people that are always predicting the trends and the futures of creativity they're rarely correct that game is just an impossible game to win but what you can win is within your little niche, hyper-focused passion of your creative practice. If you will just own it and trust it, you will be further on that little, tiny, weird tributary of a path in your part of this timeline than anyone else is. And if you will just trust that the work that you love that you're making more than anything else will Eventually, be caught on to by other people if you'll stick to it and then continue to invest in it and trust your own personal taste and trust your own creativity making for past you. You're going to get to some interesting places. Now, we've spoken in past episodes about how the creative journey, like the hero journey, really has two distinct parts. Part one is the quest to find the elixir, the kind of work that you're pumped about, the kind of stuff that. Tickles your fancy, your own particular lighting up of your creative taste buds. But part two is the quest to bring it home, and that's what we're talking about. Instead of going big, go home. Go take it to the people that really need it, not to the masses. Now, story structure is kind of magic to me, uh, but I think part of its magic is that it works all the way up and all the way down in a story. So these parts. This, this part one of getting the elixir, part two of bringing it home, you know, the three-act structure of a story, all, the hero's journey, all of those things often work, not just in a whole movie, but they're evident in a scene, they're evident in an act, they're evident in the course of a movie, they're, in, they're evident in an episode of a show, or the whole season, or ultimately a great show that has 10 seasons often has a bigger arc where the first half is about the elixir and the second half is about bringing it home. Like, it works all the way up and down, and the same is true for your creative practice. There is the finding the elixir of making one painting or one song and bringing it home of showing your spouse or your friend and being like, hey, I made this. Then there's the finding the elixir of making the album and then bringing it home to the base of fans on the tour. Like, all the way up and down, this thing is evident. Now, probably like many artists my age, Death Cab for Cutie is a really big band for me. They have like 10 studio albums to date. They started off in this indie emo that was pre-mall emo era of Pacific West Coast alternative music with this fuzzy, lo-fi, autobiographical style of lyrics. And they gradually wrote bigger and bigger, cleaner albums, eventually reaching pretty massive mainstream success with songs featured on The O.C. back in the early 2000s. This was like early going viral for bands like this. And just to put it in perspective of how big they got, their song I Will Follow You Into the Dark is their biggest song. It was featured on, you know, huge shows like Grey's Anatomy, Scrubs. It was on Mike Birbiglia's comedy special. Uh, It was in the Emma Stone, Ryan Gosling, pre-La La 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 Land rom-com, Crazy Stupid Love, and was even parodied in the Alvin and Chipmunks movie. What's bigger than that? Have an Alvin, you know, sing your song. What, what an elixir that song and album must have been. They got huge. They made a few more albums. They pushed their sound further and further from where they started. And In the week that I wrote this episode, they released a new album that was hailed as being what? A return home. You've seen it a hundred times. Like they went back to their original sound. They brought it all the way back. And I'm loving it because I'm an early fan of the band. Uh, But the fact remains like going home is a natural part of the process of making one song, of making an album, of making a career of, of 10 albums. And by the way, if somehow Ben Gibbard, you're listening to this show, maybe you're trying to pep yourself up, psych yourself up for that, tour of this album this episode doesn't really apply to you you don't need to bring it home just you know instead maybe just focus on packaging up signing sealing and delivering home that second postal service record anyway bringing it home is an essential part of the creative practice uh, and of the creative process What does going home as the sort of antiviral remedy to the world's viral fever mean for your creative practice? It means instead of trying to rapidly spread your creative work to the masses, it means bringing your work home to just a few people that you know well enough to create for. That often means making something for you from the past. You know, making something that you know would hit those creative taste buds and light them up just a couple years back. That may mean you quit trying to be the Oprah of making a podcast for 8 billion people and you make a podcast that you got a hunch that 8 people are just absolutely going to go crazy for. Because if you get those 8 people to go crazy for it, they're not going to keep it quiet. And it might just change everything Not overnight, but over time. So the second way to tap into the type of human creativity that works with your creativity instead of distracts it is to quit trying to go big and just focus on continually bringing it home, continually going home, going into that creative practice of going into the stuff that you love doing the kind of work that you love to do, just trusting that if you will go find those elixirs that you know past you would have gone crazy for, that there'd be a few people out in the world that feel exactly the same way. If you just trust that process, it won't change everything overnight, but it will change things over time. Now let's put it to action. Quick shout-out to the sponsors. Darkboard by Astropad is a ergonomic light surface for placing your iPad in. Now, this didn't fully make sense to me until I held it in my hands and I instantly understood why this would improve drawing on your iPad. If it doesn't make sense to you yet, I encourage you, if you use the iPad to draw in any capacity, to go check out their Kickstarter, Dark. Board.com. they have already crushed their goal but you want to get in there and get some of the rewards and if you go watch the video you're going to see exactly what this thing is and what it can do and why it can improve your practice drawing on the ipad it's super cool they have made it for people that draw on the ipad specifically um and i think you should go check it out at darkboard D-A-R-K-B-O. A-R-D Another shout out to another sponsor, Skillshare. I want to tell you about a class by Lucy Lambrix uh, from in Amsterdam. And it's about winning back your creative confidence by overcoming your inner critic. And the the thing is just delightful. She plays both herself and the inner critic. It's only a 15 minute class, but uh, I don't, I just feel like maybe not everybody suffers from the inner critic, but when it starts going uh, and it really gains steam within me, there are days when I just want to, I mean, there are days when I literally <laughs> just melt into a little ball on the floor at my studio where I just feel like I cannot, I can't make anything because this, this voice is just too loud. If that's ever you, if, if these voices get in your head, go check this out, uh, and, and get your creative confidence back. Uh, it's Lucy Lambrix, L-A-M-B-R-I-E-X. That's how you spell, uh, their last name. Go check it out. Skillshare.com slash creative pep for a free trial today. Chapter three, make a passion pitject. No, I didn't just mispronounce project on accident. I did it on purpose and I'm proud of it. Let me explain what I mean. Let's talk about how to bring your creative work home to just a few people that you know are going to love it. Making something that everyone likes could change everything for you, but it's nearly impossible to do on purpose. But making something that's loved by just one person, if they're the right person, that has the power to change everything for you as well. Think about it. You may not be the most incredible gift giver there ever was. Maybe you don't always make the most amazing gift decisions, but I bet there was a time where you sat down and you really worked hard to come up with something incredibly thoughtful for a gift for someone that you knew on an intimate level. Like the more you narrowed it down to the person that you were like, okay, I know this person. I know exactly what they will love you were probably able to come up with a pretty great gift. And art is a kind of gift. I'm not the first person to say so. Graphic designer James Victoria talks about this a lot. Lewis Hyde wrote a book called The Gift that is all about how art is a gift and not a commodity. Here's why I think that idea has the potential to be really, really powerful when it comes to bringing your creative work home. In my opinion, the end goal of a creative career is to build your practice on the support of a small but diehard group of fans that that they really subscribe to the work that you do that is your best. This situation means you're not beholden to trends or the whims of a few gatekeepers. It's the most stable practice that there is. And in the coming weeks, we're probably going to talk about A branding project I did with uh, the Work by Work agency for this new Sonos podcast called America's Dead. It's all about the Grateful Dead and the fandom uh, that they have even now today. And that fandom, that's kind of the holy grail of a creative practice, in my opinion. It's the kind of fandom that is so stable that it outlasts the artists themselves. Now, that might be the end goal for your creative practice, but that's a long journey, and there are actually some things you can do right now that can make some substantial changes if you will change your targets. And you're going to need some, some small wins in the short term to make that long journey. And here's how I suggest doing so. One of the ways to do this is to find a part of your creative business that can be a B2B or business-to-business type creative practice. For a restaurant to thrive... Yes, you want to have that Grateful Dead, you know, group of diehard patrons that support your restaurant over the long haul. But starting out, you might need to inject some capital quicker than that. You need some bigger influxes of cash. And to do that, you're going to have to not just have the B2C model, the business to customer or business to fan model. You may need to sell yourself to some individuals with the power to change your bank account overnight, because it's not just uh, appealing to the masses that can change everything. If you appeal to the right individual, the, the buyers who, you know, in the restaurant situation, maybe make the decision of where to cater their work events, this business to business relationship or client transaction has the power to change your practice in the short term overnight. So if you're a musician, maybe this means crafting a very particular niche of syncing music for TV shows. Okay, let me get more specific about what I mean by that. Do some research just like you would if you were buying the perfect gift for a loved one. You know, that's what Vince Staples did. He found that the biggest paydays for his practice weren't often the record sales, but actually licensing songs to movies. And he only needs one person to make that decision to change everything for the practice. Then he looked into all the movies that were coming out in the next couple of years and made an album of songs that were perfect for those movies. Now, here's how he probably did it. He didn't just say, all right, Disney makes the most money off of movies. I could cash in really, and uh, they're just going to be doing this new movie, Disenchanted, the sequel to the princess movie Enchanted starring Amy Adams, I'll make a song for that. No, that's not what he did. he did. He probably had a Venn diagram in his mind, in his head about what he was searching for. One prerequisite, one circle, was that the movie was likely to feature something like his type of music, like his genre of music. And then two, that it was authentically inspiring that, you know, you can get into the strategic making of creative work and it can really be stifling. But as long as you're using one prerequisite, one circle in that Venn Venn diagram that says, I'm only going to go look for movies that I'm excited to make a song for and let those things be my creative springboard. Some people find this kind of strategic creative work to be stifling, but I really don't. I find it to be less like homework and more like a creative prompt in its own right. Did those exact movies hire him? Probably not. Did he master plan his way into controlling every single thing that ever happened in his creative career? Probably not. You know, sometimes when creators get these kind of prompts or try to take things into their own hands about their creative future, that sometimes they get uh, stifled because they don't want to control the future. But I can assure you, you won't. The reality was much different than what he had planned for. I'm sure of it but he had a jumping-off point that helped him steer his creative ship to some place that he actually wanted to go. So here's the challenge. I'm calling it a passion pitject. Here's why. Because the band Passion Pit did this back in the day. Very specifically, they created, with this mentality, their first band's EP. It's called A Chunk of Change, and it was created as a literal gift for just one person, it was a Valentine's gift for his girlfriend. This specificity of this gift giving, making an album that is a literal gift, was so inspiring that it turned into the thing that broke open his career. And I think this kind of specificity of target unlocks your ability not to just throw spaghetti at the wall Throw spaghetti at your TikTok, throw spaghetti at the internet. And just hope that something catches on, something has some sticking power, but instead create something that is just tailored for someone that you actually can know with just a little bit of research. So let's imagine that you're making your next project or your next piece of work even just for one person, and it's someone, an art director, a music buyer for a movie, I don't know, that You can find in Target with the perfect passion pitch that you can make a piece or a song for that one person that you know they're absolutely going to love. Maybe do a little research. When it comes from the heart, I don't think research is creepy. No one's like, you looked at my public Amazon wish list and got the thing that I like? No. No one feels like that. They're like, oh, you thought of me. If it's public info, I think it's fair game. Maybe just research your favorite music buyer. Who's the person that sings incredibly well-suited songs for TV shows? Who's that person that sources all the mega songs for the mega shows that use a lot of the kind of songs like what you make? You know, go find that person. Go read about them. Maybe you find out like, oh, what got him into this was Zach Braff's movie Garden State and how that you know, made all the difference and they wanted to be the person that directed those decisions. And maybe that soundtrack was everything for you too. That's the person to make something for. So what would it look like for you as a musician to start a podcast all about your favorite soundtracks? Each season has as many episodes as the tracks of that soundtrack and each episode explores one of those songs. That's how you make something tailored to the types of people that are just like you, that love what you love, that have the ability to change everything for you overnight. Not by appealing to millions and billions of people, but appealing to one, by touching the heart and the minds and the creative taste buds of just one person. You don't need to track down this music buyer's address and knock on his door and be like, I made this podcast for you as a Valentine's gift and melted my chewing gum into a vinyl record of the entire season for you to listen to. No, don't be a a creative creep. I'm not telling you to do that. Uh, we're, We're not doing this in any actual creepy way to manipulate anybody. We're doing this as a way to just get some direction, just to get some ideas, some creative prompts that will help us get moving into the direction Of the kind of work that we want to be making, of the kind of work that can actually change the game for our practice. Just make the podcast. Send it out there. Release it into the tiny niche media outlet that your work exists in and see what happens. But don't be creepy. Don't be inauthentic. This is a thought exercise. This is a creative prompt. To, to inspire your next album or inspire your next podcast, not to be the inspiration for a future true crime podcast that's all about this creepy creative researcher that made a vinyl record out of his chewing gum for the art buyer. No, that's not what we're doing here. And, you know, I just want to leave with one more thing. I, I always, I tell that, Napoleon Dynamite story uh, every once in a while on stage or I've told it a couple times in the podcast over the past eight years and it's a silly story and it's a true story but also of course there were some people in the audience that knew the movie that I was a total legend for and it did bring some friendship connections and give me some cred with those few people and the more that I leaned into that energy the better my high school experience was and i think that the same is true for your creative practice if you will quit trying to play the biggest role in the play to get all the glory to get all the viral success and instead just try to be a part of something that you're excited about and play your little part in something bigger than yourself it will go a lot better trust me don't learned the hard way uh, (laughs) become the real Napoleon dynamite of the internet. Massive thanks to our patrons. We couldn't do it without you. A lot of hidden costs to making a podcast and you make it possible. So thanks to everybody that supports the show on Patreon huge thanks to yoni wolf and the band why for our theme music thanks to connor jones of pending beautiful for editing the show thanks to sophie miller ryan appleton and katie chandler for content and podcast assistance of all kinds really appreciate you all and until we speak again do whatever it takes to stay pepped up